Borag thong earthlets. Before we begin this show, I'd like to apologize for the audio quality of this episode. Unfortunately, I had some of my audio settings done incorrectly and didn't realize it for a couple episodes. I've since fixed the problems and it should be smooth sailing from here on out. Thank you for bearing with us and for your patience. This is the last show where that will be affected. So, on with the episode. Spundigvorthrig! I heard you on the wireless back in 52. Lying awake intently tuning in on you. If I was young, it didn't stop you coming Song Earthlets. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox. This is the 40th episode of Space Spinner uh, 2000, where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This week, we're taking a break from our usual weekly progs to cover the 2080 annual 1980. So, once again, all these annuals are numbered for the year after they came out. This one came out in September 1979. Um, just like everything we've been reading for the last two episodes. I don't know what Fox is going to say, but for me, this was the first overall decent annual we've covered. Uh, the bar was set really, really, really low. So, <laughs> anything's better than refuse, I suppose. That's true. Um, so, I want to start with the cover of this one before we even get to the thrills. Oh, the cover's yeah. real cool. It's uh, it's it says uh, it's wild, it's sensational, it's your future. And Judge Dredd and like freaking Bill Savage just shooting off stuff. As um, yeah, it's it's got Judge Dredd. It's an off-model Judge Dredd with a blue helmet yeah. instead of a red one. But him and Bill Savage are just sort of shooting off into the distance as a big sci-fi battle wages behind them. Spaceships and moons in the sky, and the ghostly head of Tharg, like Darth Vader in the Star Wars poster, <laughs> like sort of overhead. Um, He's definitely inspired. It's super awesome, man. I want to just, like, I want to get a version of this with, like, a modernized Judge Dredd, like, tattooed on my back or something like that. It's awesome. <laughs> Dude. Ah, oh, it'd be great. Yeah. Just have Tharg staring down at me from my ceiling. You gotta think... Good night. Hey, you gotta think about that, man. Tharg's, a, Tharg's an important part of your life now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but let's go to Thrill One, Benny's Tale. Um, I'm also, bulging with excitement <laughs> for Benny's Tale. <laughs> Fox has figured out um, uh, transitions for many of these. I'm I'm excited to hear them all. <laughs> <laughs> also, um, as always with annuals, there's a ton of thrills, and my thrill and my thrill voice may uh, be completely destroyed by the end of our, our of our recording. <laughs> Oh my God! Yeah. So the o- yeah. So the only credit for this um, story is uh, the artist uh, Dave Jackson. They still haven't added title cards to these annuals, but so okay. Here's the deal. Uh, we're in Mega City One, and there's a huge traffic jam as Benny the Bean, the stupidest citizen in the entire Meg, has gotten lost and just decided to kind of stop his car in the middle of a huge intersection until he figures out where he's going to go. In response, a traffic copter basically picks his car up with a huge magnet and flies it away, <laughs> leaving Benny on, the on a car face first. And they, they're like, watch the paintwork, buddy. <laughs> so bad. But they're basically leaving Benny straight on the side of the road as everybody makes fun of him. <laughs> um, Benny decides to do something about it, and he heads to Max Atlas's Mento Gym. Which... Great name, man, Max Atlas. 
Yeah, it's definitely a name built. I mean, this is this definitely seems like a a, a play on uh, Charles Atlas, like the guy that does all the comic book ads for getting strong and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we kind of get some backstory of uh, Benny always being dumb. His robot guidance counselor at school said the only job. His, he was mentally qualified for was to be a stand-in for Mach Zero, and he couldn't even do that because he didn't have the right build for it. Dude. Um, but, so, Max Atlas starts putting Benny through a series of mental exercises that will make him smarter. This also includes causing him to grow a big set of forehead nodules. Like, just basically a yeah. forehead butt, essentially. Yeah, he gets a big old weird bulge on his face. Yeah. Over the next few weeks, Benny gets smarter and smarter, and his forehead butt gets bigger and bigger. Um, <laughs> and girls are all like, ooh, your forehead butt's so cute. I mean, yeah, they... touch your forehead butt. He does take lessons in confidence, and then is surrounded by bikinied ladies who caress his forehead. That's, like, absolutely true. Very yeah. On, the, on, on his way to his final appointment, where he'll be super, finally, ultra-smart, a, uh, a car is bearing down on him and Benny starts to calculate all the different factors um, related to the car, like its uh, overall speed and gas mileage and stuff like that. But um, because he's spending so long calculating, he doesn't actually jump out of the way of the car and uh, apparently gets uh, smashed to death. Which, Dad, there's your lesson, kids. Don't be too smart. Well, Max Atlas wonders where Benny is because he's late for his mind appointment. Um, and that mind appointment was, in fact, teaching him how to make quick decisions. <laughs> too many facts can be dangerous if you don't know how to use them. Womp womp. <laughs> God, like... Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to feel about this one. I thought this was a... F- opener. I thought it was a fun kind of slice of life Mega City One story, you know. <laughs> like, oh, absolutely! It's just like, God, just the guy gets killed for trying to cheat his way into smart. Hey, life that is, wasn't even the. Yeah, life is cheap in Mega City One. Like that's definitely something we've been t- we've we've learned over and over again for sure. This certainly reinforces that it's not very fun to get hit by a car. It's true, but you know, I mean, hey, it didn't happen to me. It happened to that Benny guy. I don't have a chin. <laughs> I, I don't have a forehead, but uh, he's wicked stupid. So even <laughs> exactly. But hey, speaking of uh, the cheap coming out expensive fox, let's oh go to thrill to Robusters. It's gonna be a real avalanche of fun. Uh, again. Like we know that the uh, art robot for the Robusters is a uh, Kev Suther- is is Kev F Sutherland, but no real information on who the uh, who the writer is. Mm. So this is an old school style Robusters story back when they were a disaster squad. Um, there's a huge avalanche in Geneva, Switzerland, and it threatens to destroy the city, including its many banks, banks that hold the money of billionaire manbot Harold Quartz. Oh, snap. I don't want my money destroyed. No. I mean, it seems weird that it actually be physical money, but who... I mean, I don't understand 2080s banking systems. (laughs) (laughs) So, Quartz dispatches Hammerstein, Rojas, and Metquake to deal with it. It's a... Every time Metquake is a good time, Metquake. It's a three-robot team of total awesomeness. 
Yeah. Metquake basically drives up to the mountain to stop the majority of it falling on the city just with his, <laughs> with, by just holding boulder, like ro- boulders up with his many bulldozer blades. It's a feat of incredible strength. Meanwhile, Rojas and Hammerstein sort of survey the seed and, and start saving random people scattered around the city, including a little girl who is frightened by Rojas, which, like, you got to work on your taste, little girl. Rojas is excellent. Uh, yeah, and he's befriended plenty of little girls. It's true. That's actually a, a good point. Like, he's good with kids. We've seen it be, be proved. But anyhow... Um, <laughs> Eventually, Mechquake loses control of the avalanche, and both the city and Mechquake himself are buried in the rubble. No, not Mechquake. Yeah, the team unburies Mechquake, but his brain has been heavily damaged, and without it, he won't be able to unbury Quartz's money. Luckily, the Robo Repair guys have an idea, and they can use a scraping from Harold Quartz's brain to fix Mechquake right quick. Ah, snap. Is he going to do it, maybe? I mean, he needs that money, dude. He agrees to do it. <laughs> the, the, uh, this new version of Mechquake is actually kind of a nice, if crazy, robot. Like, he seems very friendly and stuff. Yeah. He quickly unburies Mech, uh, Quartz's money, but then um, at when he's in the bank there, basically eats all the money that's inside the bank. <laughs> um, and so... Then, uh, when Quartz tries to stop Mechquake, Mechquake chases uh, Quartz around, like, looking for a hug, basically. (laughs) Which, I mean, if you know Mechquake, that hug ain't gonna be very gentle. No, but it's really... It's true. Big cuddle! But it's... Dude! (laughs) It's funny because, um, Rojas and Hammerstein are just sort of, like, hanging out, talking on the phone to robot doctors as Harold Quartz is running for his life (laughs) from Mechquake behind him like they sort of aren't aren't taking it very seriously which is very funny dude a big hug from the big lug hey you hate it why not anyhow eventually they call in a a robot hypnotherapist which returns quick to (laughs) met quick to normal and when quartz looks to get paid for the job uh the mayor of geneva tells him to go screw because of all the various mistakes they made along the way anyway all's well that ends well for the robusters uh, except probably Harold Quartz. I mean, you know, he's fine. He'll be fine until whatever that disaster with the um, Terramex happens, and he's just got to get out of Dodge, basically. <laughs> hey, man, when you call in things to do big jobs, they do big jobs. Oh, these jobs are big as hell, buddy. Hey, yeah, spe- man. Speaking of big jobs, <laughs> let's talk about some tech stories. Uh, Thrill 3, the, t- the Tharg Tapes. Personality data bank and when lightning strikes. So this is just sort of a oh, big. One cl- of these were. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I said one of these were cool. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I've I've sort of just whenever there's a couple text you know text features in a row I've just clumped them together. Um, one is um, robot uh, is a A A L N one the writing bot interviewing Tharg so it's basically Alan Grant interviewing Steve McManus I guess um, it's mostly rehashes of previous Thar lore like which I'm not recapping but I love Tharg being like crazy and blustering and talking about his mightiness and stuff like that he really goes on for a while about how the Mekon's a total D it's true yeah, there's a lot of uh, Mekon shade in the, or Mekon slander, I guess, in this um, interview. 
Um, hey, yeah, I mean, obviously. Then there's a big fa there's a fact file about Judge Dredd, which is a usual Dredd stuff. Although interestingly, like some basic stuff, like his age, height, and weight, are all listed as classified. Mm -hmm. um, and finally, there's an article that's called "When Lightning Strikes," basically just letting you know that lightning is a thing that exists, and that lightning rods are useful to not have your house be burned down when struck by lightning. Oh God! Well, while all of these were boring, let me tell you, Conrad, this next comic treats us like a guinea pig. Oh, 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 Thrill 4, Guinea Pig Part 1. So yeah, so Guinea Pig, um, art robot is Brian Lewis, and the other information is Lost to the Ages. So Fox, you'll remember, yeah, so Fox, you'll, you'll remember Mike Lane, the Guinea Pig, from last year's 2000 AD annual, right? Nope. Oh, Okay. <laughs> So there's this guy, he kind of does feats of daring do, and has, a, and has a pretty decent legacy comic, I think. In the last one, they actually did some guinea pig stuff with him. They had him, like, take some pills. One made him, like, not be affected by gravity, and he floated up to the oh. moon where he fought, like, a squid monster. Or, like, a tentacle yeah. monster, I guess. And then the tentacle monster came back to Earth and turned into, like, an office park. <laughs> yeah. Like, what? Oh, I remember this kind of vaguely. It was like a thousand, you know, it was a long time ago. Like, I think our last annual was like episode like 25 or something like that. So it's been a little while. Um, so basically, um, in, um, yeah, so yeah, this is a decent legacy comic. Um, the artist Brian Lewis does a lot of like clean lines and photo references that I think are very interesting. Mm -hmm. But so this, this is the, this, so there's two guinea pig uh, comics. This, this annual, the first one is Mike Lane le leads a team aboard a submarine three miles down, where after some difficulty with collapsing cave systems, they find an ancient underwater temple. Uh, the temple's Which, very... All right. Yeah. The, the temple's cool until they realize it's infested with a giant octopus. Oh, no. Oh, God, it's got a big old beak. It's going to get me. Yeah. I like the octopus a lot, actually. It's kind of a, a crazy, like, got a big eye and a death beak and stuff like that. Uh, actually, it's a squid because it shoots out age. It's got a friggin' thing and it's an eyeball. Get out of here, nerd! They fire missiles at the, at the octopus and it retreats. Uh, so, yeah, spraying black ink that messes up with their sensors. Eventually, no. eventually, the sub goes deep into the temple system, where it finds out there's a ton of gold all over the place, because that's the only material that wouldn't have been crushed at the extreme pressure of three miles down. Is that true? I have no idea. I don't honestly <laughs> think so. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to verify... Man, I, I, if I verify this... If, if I try to verify the science of anything, of all the stuff in 2000 AD... Like, I got other stuff to do, man. Like, I'm not a professional, <laughs> you know? I'll leave that to uh, to when Neil deGrasse Tyson go uh, finishes debunking all the science fiction movies and starts working on all the science fiction podcasts, you know? Oh, there you go. <laughs> hey, uh, you know, Tyson, I know you've got your own podcast, but if you're ever interested in a cameo appearance here on Space Bender 2000, I know you're listening. All celebrities are welcome. Um <laughs> <laughs> Kim Kardashian, call me. Also, regular people. I don't care. <laughs> Whatever. 
<laughs> yeah, you're a celebrity in our eyes. And yeah, we record listener, the one yeah. we're talking to right now, you. And we record at weird right times, so be aware, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've got to be flexible. Yeah, it's true. So anyhow, they fired missiles. Yeah, blah blah. blah. Um, yeah, ton of gold. <laughs> Soon afterwards, they uh, the damage uh, damage to the sub forces them to have to escape without any physical evidence. They make it to the surface, but don't have to worry about depressurization. I guess whatever with that stuff. Um, yeah, now I'm now I'm testing the science. I guess. <laughs> they the didn't. Yeah, they're, he's pissed because they didn't bring back any specimens, but they do have a sweet videotape of the expedition, and now better prepared underwater bros can go check this stuff out. Huzzah! Put it to, like, you know, some music. Make a cool YouTube music video out of it, you know? Oh, yeah. Facebook. Hey, speaking of uh, video recording, Fox. Oh, God. Thrill 5, welcome to the world of video. Oh, snap, we're going to learn about some dumb shit. Oh, this is good stuff, dude. Um, I it's, like yeah. yeah, this is a, a four-page spread about the future of, like, home video, basically, including, like, VCRs, camcorders, uh, video games, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, interestingly, the term VCR doesn't seem to have been invented yet. <laughs> So, because because they call it like uh like just like a video recorder and stuff like that, um, which you know is is um also interesting is that the model for this like the VCR model for this article is a VHS machine, which if you yeah. understand why that's interesting instead of being a a a, a beta machine, don't forget to take your uh, daily multivitamin for your aging bones. I know I won't, because you're old. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, so that's the thing is like clearly they were on a particular side because people swore by Betamax and other people swore by it's true VHS, especially in these early days. Like I think I remember we had a beta machine until like the like 1983 or something or 84 or yeah. something. Um, but so I think this article is kind of fun just to see how. You know, all this article is about technology that's now super outdated, but they're talking about it like it's the next big thing, which is sort of an interesting, like, way to look at that stuff, you know? Yeah, well, and oh. this would be of interest to a child. Okay. Yeah. Like, there's definitely a lot of stuff of, like, how we're moving from, like, 8 eight millimeter and 16 millimeter films and slides sort of into video cassette stuff. You know, it sort of talks... There's, they sort of give a view of of the future, which would be like you watch a star, like your dad comes home and like watches the news, and then you watch a video uh, of Star Wars, and then you play video games. Like I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, sounds like what I grew up as a child. It doing. seems very very plausible. I'll say that much. I mean, that and the Power Rangers, but let's not talk about that. <laughs> hey, you know, I'm sure we'll figure out something. But speaking of unstoppable teams, Fox, like oh the Power Rangers, <laughs> let's go to uh, Thrill Six Invasion. This invasion is seriously criminal. All right. <laughs> so I thought this. Oh I thought this was a pretty good invasion story, actually. Um. In this one, uh, Savage Silk and the lads sort of liberate a Vulcan troop train and free a resistance fighter who is also one of Savage's boyhood friends. So it's, but it's not Silk. It's Sassy Silk. That's the best kind of Silk, buddy. 
I'm not interested in non-sassy silks, you know? Uh, all right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, non-sassy silks. Yeah. So, but, but, but they free Savage's boyhood friend Ted Purvis, and although Ted is a <laughs> capable fighter, he also shows himself to be an opportunist and a scoundrel. Like, he, his car of choice is like a Mercedes-Benz, and he steals loot during attacks on Vogon transports, and like, blows a safe to, see, to steal the, the cash inside during a raid on the Vogon base. As you do. Yeah, so Sassy Silk is very jealous of Ted and of uh, Ted and Bill's instant rapport, which I think is very cute. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know. Eventually, though, per, uh, Ted Purvis is once again captured. Savage leads a one-man attack to free him and is successful, but finds out that Ted has agreed to inform on the resistance for leniency. Ah, oh, snap. He's yeah, a sympathizer. it's true. The two of them rush back to warn the other fighters and get there just ahead of a Volgon attack. During the attack, Ted saves Bill twice, once by shooting an officer that, that's got the drop on Bill, and again by taking a bayonet to the back for him. Oh, God. Yeah, Ted, di yeah, Ted dies having redeemed himself for his betrayal and striking a blow against the Volgon invaders. Yeah, but I thought, you know, this story, like, we've had problems with invasion stories in these annuals in the past. Um, this one seemed to actually have a handle on the invasion characters. There's a good amount of uh, violence, a lot of shotgunning. Just, like, a good, like, invasion story in an overall sense, I'd say. I, I mean, I feel or at least a non the same. Yeah, at least a non-crappy one, which is better than we've been getting, you know what I mean? That's fair. Bill Savage had a shotgun the whole time, although it did vary in size somewhat drastically across the progs. <laughs> yeah. Or across the, the things. Uh, the pages, you I, sure? I still, I like that there, there are certain facts about Bill Savage. If you are a friend who randomly turns up that isn't Ness, you are going to die. <laughs> Fact. I mean, even Big Nessie died, buddy. That's actually wow. That's really fair. Yeah, Luke died too. Everybody yep. dies. He has I, no friends. These are the you know these are the uh, the strains of plot that are going to get picked up in um, in like the two thousand four um, story of invasion that we'll get to someday. You know, that's awesome. Yeah. So uh, okay, let's go on to Thrill Seven, Arthur C. Clarke. So this is a uh, personality databank entry for classic sci-fi uh, author Arthur C. Clarke. They say his books in the 50s did more to popularize science fiction than any other author, uh, citation needed. And his best <laughs> work is The City and the Stars. And yeah, again, I'm not sure about either of these claims, but I mean, fair news, you're okay with me, ACC. Like, you know. Yeah. Here are some important books. Did 2001, of course. And yeah, I think that they're sort of talking about like different British authors in these um, things. Just to kind of want to... It seems science fiction-y and good enough for the text parts of this uh, comic, you know? It feels very AAL1 of this comic. I mean, they got to like... They got to program stuff, you know? And, it, and they can't just go deep into the archives to find random things. But speaking of doing just that, uh, Thrill 8 Phantom Patrol. 
Everyone expects the Spanish Armada. It's true. They're always after you. <laughs> I mean, especially when you take their Fort Castle place. Definitely. Yeah, they took over all... Okay, so let's get to it. Uh, <laughs> I must say that uh, Phantom Patrol held my attention more and was more interesting than I've seen it than, than it's been in previous years for some reason. Really? I, I mean, don't know. Like... Yeah, that, that, that might just be a personal thing for me. I'm not sure. No, 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 no. I, like, I'm more... Su I guess I shouldn't say surprised. That's quite rude of me. It's more of just, like, I saw them blowtorch a boat, and that was pretty cool, and then mm -hmm. that just never happened again. Yeah. They have things that they could do. It's just, like, uh, instead, it's just so much text. I mean, I guess this one is yeah. pirate ships, right? No, this one's got similar... Has the same problems that it's always had. So, you know, Phantom Patrol is basically a couple World War II guys. They've got all their modern weapons. they got a D-Day-style, like, landing craft thing. They're, they're traveling through time. they got, like, a time machine. Um, <laughs> they also have a, uh, a techno shield that makes you intangible and a helmet that is both a translator and lets you fly. Um, Sweet. Yeah, it's all cool. You know, they can use the weapons to indeed fly out and flamethrower uh, ships if they need to. All, all that stuff. So... This time, our boys find themselves in Malta in the year 1591. A bunch of British dudes have taken over the island from the Spanish, but yeah. now the Spanish are sending some ships to take it back. Um, Dude's got a sweet eye patch. All these, these guys are pirate guys, and they're very cool, like in general, as, as pirate guys go. Um, <laughs> um, so, with help from the patrol, however... So, yeah, so the Spanish are sending ships. With help from the patrol, the Brits are able to defeat the Spanish. And they take a galley that is full of treasure. Hooray! Oh, yeah, let's take this back to the Queen. She'll totally love it. Yep, yep. They sail back to England, where before they can meet Queen Elizabeth, a couple of noble dudes try to assassinate the patrol and their pirate buddies. Luckily... No good noble goodniks. Ex ex no good nicks nobles yeah i think that sounds like the right one <laughs> um luckily our guys fight the assassins off and the patrol triggers their time machine and happily travel off to another era in this case one with viking ships to be continued hell yeah and peace out dude i guess you'll just have to figure out your english problems by yourself i mean they sort of like you know the, the dudes that tried to attack him got arrested and stuff so he's probably in the clear at this point you know, at some point you just got to make the next leap because you'll be stuck there f fixing minor problems forever. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Although they sure like to get in the thick of things. They specifically say at the end, by the way, totally tell the queen about the strangers that you've met. I'm like, bro. These guys, you know, they aren't traveling with a scientist or anything like that. These are a bunch of, like, grunts or, like, you know, like, it's, it, it's like a sergeant, a corporal, a kidnap, like, a German guy and some guy from the, and, like, a security guard from the future or something. Wait, Sorry. what? I don't know. We, that part was never in the comics, which seems very, like, a weird thing to skip, but I don't know what to tell you. Like, we, I just see what's in these annuals, you know? Um, <laughs> anyhow. Oh, God. Thanks for getting us through one half of this problem. I mean, I know you liked it. I'm sorry. I just... It was I didn't... So I just... I've just, like... I've read Phantom... Like, previous Phantom Patrols I've tried to read, and they've just, like, bounced oh, off yeah. my brain. And this one managed to stick, so i got to give it some credit, basically. 
But yeah, so Phantom Patrol slowly making their yeah slowly making their way home. Speaking of being at home, Thrill Nine, Dan Dare. And I just want to say, adding to Dan Dare's repertoire, Dan Dare kills a baby. <laughs> so there you go. Ah, come on, buddy. I mean, they heavily imply it through this entire yeah, thing. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, so this is the final Dan Dare story on this podcast, Fox. <gasps> the last one. God, freedom. Or I think it, I mean, I'm like 99% sure it is. Um, but yeah, I like to imagine that this story takes place after he's sorted everything out with the Mekon and, and has retired and everything. Yeah. Dan Dare is, lead, is living a quiet in a quiet country home aboard Tars 12, an abandoned space station on the far end of the solar system. All by himself, too. Yeah, it's just him, his computer bank, and I guess his buddy Guard, who is apparently arriving with supplies and stuffs um, pretty soon. Yeah, he's got a nice old English house. Inside. Yeah, it's got like a, like a stone cottage with a thatched roof, basically. Ah, uh, but but suddenly, a crazy space monster flies into the station. It knocks Dan's out. It, it knocks Dan out and starts taking over parts of the station, like the station is a possessed house. Ah, oh, snap! And throughout it all, sort of Dan figures out what's going on. And yes, as Fox alluded to, um, decides that it's this alien being has been born inside his space station and is now just kind of a baby alien being and it doesn't really know what it's doing and he's got to find something some way to take it down before it gets more advanced and powerful enough to actually just kill him basically yeah but then like later he also talks about how because he's inside the space station it's kind of like he's a disease that it's trying to fight off and yep yeah whatever. exactly Anyhow, um, eventually, Guard shows up, and Dan has a plan. They flush the monster out of the house and have a takeover Guard's ship instead, and then they send the ship on autopilot deep into outer space. Problem solved! Yeah, great. Like, just go murder a space baby. I mean, it's not murdered. It's on. It's alive on that ship. You... I mean, yes. All right, and it's sure. and it's drifting out into deep space, which is what it was doing before. I mean, you know, it's a status quo move. <laughs> of just yeah, go over here and don't be my problem. Look, before you were drifting in space and you came to me, now you're drifting in space again. You know, zero sum. Um, the problem is solved, but now Guard is out in space and has to be towed back in. And I guess he's just going to be stuck on Dandere Space Station for a while. Eh, sweet. I mean, Dan's gonna make him dinner, I guess. That's what it's implied. Who knows what else they'll do? Ah, uh, interesting implications about Dan Dare's social life. Bam, bam, bam! <laughs> <laughs> Alright, let's go to Thrill 10, the man who saved the world. This one's pretty cool. Yeah, so, alright, the man, the mania! There are these aliens, and they're bent on conquering everything, including the Earth. They do it in a very specific way, according to galactic law. They send a challenger, and they fight the planet's champion, and whoever wins gets the planet. Totally cool rules. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's, it's kind of RoboJock's rules. Um, mm -hmm. if, the Earth has no ch if the planet has no champion, then it will be destroyed. So, the challenger, uh, Jake, that's J-A-E-K, 
of these aliens heads to Olympic City, home of Earth's mightiest athletes, for the challenge. At Olympic City, we meet Fred Pert, a former athlete sidelined by a broken leg and who's now like a bum, basically. He's sleeping rough in an Olympic City's park without a penny to his name. Yeah, it but, sort of sucks for all whatever yeah, his name is. Yeah, Fred, it's tough, man. But now he's challenged by Jake. Oh, no. Jake and Fred going to square off. Yeah, so it takes a little bit for Fred to figure out what the alien wants, even after Jake throws a literal gauntlet on the ground. <laughs> Jake suggests a couple different things, like like fighting with like laser lances, or having a foot race, or a, a hallucinogenic battle of the minds and Which, stuff. What the fuck? He's there, right? He's ready for whatever, buddy. Eventually, Fred suggests a game of cutting cards. The winner gets Earth. Jake is skeptical, but goes along. He draws a ten of hearts, and Fred draws an ace of spades. And the Earth is the Earth is saved. <laughs> yeah, to have a throwing cards party. All right, but as Fred loudly celebrates his saving of Earth, he attracts the attention of some RoboCops uh, of uh, to the park, who, after hearing his story, cart him off to the Olympic City home for the mentally sick. Oh well, yeah. you know. Breaking his leg, being down on his luck, I guess you could say his fate was always on the cards. Oh, baby, baby, I won't get fooled again. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> it's because uh, I was also, also a very CSI Miami one right there. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> and, and they're cops. Yep. Well, no, I think this is just like... Oh, yeah, no, it was, yeah. They are co- yeah, totally. It's very like CSI Miami opening of a Law and Order kind of thing. <laughs> Excellent. Oh <my> God. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah. Now we go to Thrill Eleven. Could we live forever? Well, could we? <laughs> uh, you know, it says some things about a guy who's 110 years old. It barely does. Uh, yeah, there's a big, there's a big, there's, there's a big picture of an old guy in this article that says is, is a guy named Class K A K L A A S, and he's an African bushman who is 110 years old, and honestly, he looks great for 110. Um, yeah. I haven't been able to find anything about him online, um, just looking up, like, class, Bushman, 110 years old, or anything. Um, so it's a clear fabrication. I mean, I think this is definitely a picture of a dude. I don't know if he's, if it's a picture of a 110-year-old dude. Um, yeah, fair. I also did some research. The oldest person who ever lived was a French lady who died at the age of 100 and, 122, and the what oldest, the fuck? yeah, and the oldest person currently living is Violet Brown, a Jamaican lady who is 117. And I just want to make a podcast note to myself to verify that she's still alive and is currently the oldest person when we actually record this <laughs> or uh, I'll put this episode out. <laughs> Fair, but yeah, the article is like very like light on any facts beyond like, hey, technology could let us live uh, longer. Like, yep, yeah. Here's some speculation, I guess, almost. It's not even like, uh, uh, like maybe there'll be medicine? Eh? Like, 
Okay. They didn't go off the reservation and weren't just like, you could take vitamins instead of food. It was a big craze in the 70s. It'd be, yeah, if they started a big uh, breatharian message or whatever midway through. Oh my god. (laughs) That'd really be something. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, yeah, that would be a crime. And speaking of crimes, thrill, (laughs) thrill 12, going straight. Uh, the art robot for this one is Jose Luis Ferrer, or is yeah. Um, and so this one, I don't know. They say it takes place in Mega City Four in 2079, but that's this is the only time Mega City Four ever appears in um, any kind of 2080 product. God, really? Yeah, so, and everything's run by robots instead of judges. Yeah, yeah, so this could just be an alternate reality where it happens to be Mega City 4. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm putting a, a, an asterisk next to this in terms of uh, canonical stories. But anyhow, <laughs> uh, Willie, this guy, Willie C., is a small-time crook, but technology is making it harder and harder to do so. Um, as we see that even like some snacks he steals from the store start shouting that they've been stolen and get him arrested. I actually like that idea, that your food starts screaming. Totally. Um, So he gets put, so he gets taken before the robot judge, and he's put on 10 years of probation, and he's supposed to go straight or he'll be sent to the time stretcher. Which is what? You know what's funny is, um, this happens from time to time where I see something written in one of these comics, and I'm like, oh, man, I should just look this up on the internet and see if there's information about it. But instead, I go, I, I end up on like the 2080 forums, and the only entry I can find is someone else asking what the time stretcher is. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's a lesser used sort of thing. I um, we might we'll end up maybe seeing it used in some other um stuff, but. It's not the primary. Um, like my understanding is that it's sort of a thing that makes it feel, that makes you feel like you've spent like twenty or thirty years in prison, even though it only takes like like an hour or two. Oh, interesting. But so then they just release your ass back to the street, but you're slightly damaged in the brain. Yeah, which I don't know. It doesn't seem like a real good punishment, just because that doesn't really rehabilitate you, and like. <sighs> You're basically, like, if you're a criminal, you're still sort of dropped out in the same situation you were a criminal in before. Like, you do a couple gangsters on it, like, uh, in it, like, they still have, like, all their criminal contacts and stuff there. Nothing's changed for them. But anyhow. um, That's actually really fair. Yeah, you know. I mean, I don't know. It's punishment in this future fascist state, but let's get into it. Um, (laughs) But so, um... Blah, blah, blah. Willie heads out. He remarks on how unfair it is that he got caught, but they can't catch this supervillain, the Melto Bomber, who is extorting money by setting bombs places. And it turns out that Willie has to walk like 20 miles from the courthouse back to his place. Which, what? That seems rough. So he tries to steal a car to do so, but the car starts screaming that that it's being stolen, so he's got to run off. And hiding some garbage. Yeah. Willie loses the cops and goes into a restaurant with just five credits to his name. He's having a meal before he goes straight. At the restaurant, he sees a rich guy with a briefcase, but the rich guy leaves it it behind when he leaves the restaurant. Willie first decides to try to steal the case and try to get money for it and its contents, 
but seeing a ton of like nearby robocops and stuff he he decides instead to return the case to its owner and maybe get a, re a reward or something yeah for being a good old guy yeah being a good citizen he finds instead. well instead he <laughs> finds the case's owner in a phone booth and as Willie tries to return it we learn that uh, the rich guy with the case is actually the Melto bomber and the case is one of his bombs the, the the city isn't paying the ransom so the Melto bomber explodes the bomb but it suddenly he realizes it's right next to him so it kills both Willie and the bomber with sort of a slurp kind of uh, sound Oh no! All that's left is a bunch of like steaming goo with two pairs of eyeballs staring at each other. Yeah, it's really um, <clears throat> cartoonishly horrific. Yeah, well, it's like a melting bomb, I guess, instead of an exploding bomb. So it's melted them in the phone booth and stuff. So they're just eyes. But why the eyes? Uh, you know, meltable. I guess so. <laughs> Anyhow, man, it's tough in Mega City 4. If the Robocops don't get you, your fellow crooks will. Oh! <laughs> oh my god. Man, Tharg, you got so much wit. Love you, boo. Hey, Tharg's got these jokes, buddy. But <laughs> s speaking of futuristic cops, my friend, it's time yeah. for Thrill 13, Judge Dread. And he's, you know, checking out all these honest citizens on the beach. Always vacation dread. Anyhow, uh, the art robot for this one is um, David Jackson, who also did the, um, who also did the uh, Benny story at the start of the uh, of, of the annual. Mm. And he he draws a very old school version of dread. Like his shoulder pads are positively tiny. It's it's crazy. Um, it's with that. I guess I I think this is just like a lot of these annual things are old. Like um, in going straight, there was a signature on the bottom from Ferrer, and it was Ferrer seventy eight. So it was a year ago. This could be like sort of based on you know early Judge Dredd when he had when he had, didn't you know you could tell by his helmet too. He's got kind of an old like he's got sort of the old school like round bowling ball kind of helmet. Um, did, did you notice that he's got little tiny pockets on his gloves, like two sets? Yes. He's got kind of a Rob Liefeld style um, uh, pouching on his pockets and stuff. Yeah, it's kind of weird. <laughs> also, his belt buckle eagle is super huge. Anyhow, I mean, you know, this is just like an old school, like because it's a version of Dread, because it's so old, when someone else tries to draw it, it just kind of gets off model and gets kind of weird, basically. Mm. Or that's what it seems like to me, at least. I don't know. But so, Dreads down in Mega Miami with Walter. You know, I mean, Mega City 1 sort of goes uh, as up to, you know, it's the entire eastern seaboard, basically. It goes from f the tip of Florida all the way up to the top of Maine and then west to, like, Michigan. Not the upper peninsula, just the main peninsula of, of, of Michigan. Um, so, Dr Judge Dredd's here in Mega Miami with Walter to investigate some malfunctioning robots that all had Miami sand in their various robot parts. Oh, and, man. Uh, yeah, all the robots malfunctioned by basically going berserk and being real jerks to humans, which I thought was kind of funny. Like there's a robot waiter that dumps lasagna on people's heads and stuff. <laughs> um, and a garbage robot that just kicks over garbage. And everyone's yeah. like, ah, garbage robot's a jerk. Yep, always. So, um, 
Meanwhile, so we're down the beach. Walter's making goo-goo eyes at this uh, super sexy lady robot. Like, Fox, you've heard of an hourglass figure? This robot Lola has a barbell figure. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, Quite mean, true. Yeah, meanwhile, Dread laments that, she, that uh, he has no further leads. And as he does so, Lola tells Walter to drug Dread with some sleeping pills so they can get together tonight on the beach. Oh, yeah. And, like, Walter being like, I don't want to, and her being like, ah, it's fine, you need to sleep, right? She's, he's like, oh, actually, that makes sense, which is like, is it that easy to trick Walter? Yes, really? definitely. <laughs> um, God damn you. Stupid robot. So Walter agrees, but that night when he meets Lola, we learn that it's all a trap. Oh, it's obviously a trap. Lola's owners are importing cheaply made immigrant robots, rustbacks, which I'm not comfortable with, uh, that that are built cheaply in the Caribbean zone. Which, really, guys. Also, they reveal the knockout drops that Walter put in Dread drinks were actually cyanide, so Dread is dead. Oh, jeez. But actually, no. Actually, no, he's not. (laughs) Yeah, Dread was playing possum because even he could tell this was a trap. Um, And now he's here to save the day. The crooks are arrested and all the rustbacks will be repaired and reprogrammed so that they can apply to enter Mega City 1 legally. Hooray! Oh, yeah. And note that all the robots uh, basically speak Spanish. One of them just kind of says K, and another comes from Barcelona, which is a Spanish language joke. Hooray! <laughs> oh my god, we're totally being really great here, guys. Because people from 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 Barcelona and stuff in the you know are speak yeah. Castilian Spanish, with which is lispy, just to make everybody clear. Um, also, Lola blows off Walter even as she's being let off in cuffs, and that's fine. Die alone, Walter. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Oh my god. No, not, that's perfect. I love you. Not a Walter fan, guys. Sorry. No. I can't I, I can't help it. I feel like there most people be, agree with me, honestly. <laughs> there won't be a single time that you will ever be able to convince me that Walter is a worthwhile character. He's he's not that great. No. Also not that great. More text articles we go to. Thrill 14, Loch Ness Monster, H.G. Wells, and Crisis. Oh, God. So first up, uh, Loch Ness Monster, fact or fantasy. It's out there, maybe, uh, whatever, I guess. Um, uh, it's a fact. Her name is Nessie, and she killed uh, Colonel Volgaska. No, wait. Right? Yes. No, man. Nessie was in person. I mean, she wasn't the Loch Ness monster. She was just named Nessie, dude. She wasn't a a, a, a monster thing. Dude, um, he sang for her, and she came out of the water like a beautiful woman, and then destroyed everything. That's super. Yeah, no, totally fair. I mean, you're right. That's absolutely what happened. Um, <laughs> I'll say I read this whole article waiting for them to mention that Big Hungry from Flesh Two was implied to be the Loch Ness monster, and was not disappointed. Big hungry rules, okay? Dude, that was pretty pretty awesome. Uh, I, I was really... They don't do it until the end of the article, and I was really reading the article with, like, a puss on my face waiting to write an angry thing about how they don't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Just because in the Judge Dredd annual, they didn't talk about, about 
Mount Rushmore in that article that was about Mount Rushmore. So I was like yeah, ready for it to not be there. Anyhow, next up is uh, just a, a little feature on on H.G. Uh, Wells, who along with Jules Verne is sort of considered, you know, it's kind of the father, grandfather of science fiction, writing like The Time Machine and The Invisible Man and War of the Worlds and all that stuff. His books predict the airplane and World War One and the A-bomb. And, you know, basically just good show H.G. Wells, I guess. Also, this yeah, article... And also that one time you scared the shit out of everybody on the radio. Man, that was Orson Welles' buddy. Oh. Eh. Doing the War of the Worlds that H.G. Wells wrote, but there's no relation between the two, as I recall. Also, there's no mention of the semi-apocryphal story that H.G. Wells scored with, like, a ton of ladies because he naturally smelled like honey, which drive, dri- dr- drove women wild in the late 19th century. But oh I'm God. saying that because that's a crazy factoid about H.G. Wells. I wish I smelled like honey. Yeah, man. Like, there's so many reasons to do so. <laughs> Anyhow... Nah, maybe. But bees don't aren't attracted to honey, man. They're attracted to nectar. Ah, you got to think about it. Um, <laughs> so the f- this so so the next text article is uh, called Crisis. And oh man, in the late seventies, unlike today, there was a huge energy crisis because we relied on fossil fuels instead of renewable resources. Oh man, the, what a terrible past. Uh, <laughs> The, oh my god the article specifically calls out like solar and wind energy including offshore wind farms which were theoretical in the article was written but today actually the uk has some of the most extensive offshore wind power generators in the world which is good for them i'd say yeah, yeah. and you know again we talked about this previously i think there was like a an interview with like uh, brian Bolland and john wagner at a previous um annual they sort of talked about like ecological crises and running out of energy and stuff like that and i think it's interesting just to hear people talk about that stuff and like you know of course remains a, a problem into today basically yeah i mean the gas scare kicked things up during the 70s and then De- yeah definitely biz. and speaking of i don't know scary gases nah um <laughs> just go to through to Thrill 15, Phantom Patrol Part 2. More boats. Very boat heavy is Phantom Patrol. I guess because they have that landing craft, so they got to keep using it, which sort of keeps them on the water, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Phantom Patrol is always drawn by Gary uh, Embleton. So, the boys are in London and back in Viking times, or like Anglo-Saxon times, I guess. They get captured by some Anglo-Saxons, and their leader, um, Hadrada... But not Harold Hadrada, the guy who tried to invade England um, while William the Conqueror invaded England, um, <laughs> steals the flying helmet and flies around. Um, <laughs> so- soon afterwards, though, like some Vikings attack London, and the Phantom Patrol um, helps out by offering battle tips and, you know, then machine gunning some Vikings, which is always helpful. Which- I mean, really, that seems just like the better option. Just machine gun them. I mean, man, it solves a lot of problems when you're fighting like night, like uh, 10th century dudes, for sure. Yeah. Um, so, the patrol is friends with the Anglo-Saxon guys now, except for the evil Welsh wizard Simric, who wants to steal like the patrol's time travel relics for his own. 
covetous bastard. Exactly. Uh, Simric and his army of dudes steal the relics and sail out. They can't figure out how to start the landing craft, so they just tow it behind them. Which uh, is really great. Yeah. All these uh, our guys, the Anglo-Saxons, and the patrol give chase and eventually catch up with Simric's dudes. Although Simric is flying and intangible because he's using like the helmet and the shield, a hail of gunfire scares him enough that he drops the magic shield into the sea and then goes flying uncontrollably over the horizon on the helmet. Both are lost. Which great, I guess. Yeah. Anyhow, it's time for the patrol for the uh, boys to move on. Uh, this German guy they've been dragging around, I guess. They don't really mention him previously, but apparently they've been dragging around for the last two stories. Has agreed to not cause trouble, and the team prepares to time travel, this time going back as far back as the dial will go. And that's it for now. Phantom Patrol will conclude in the 1981 annual. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Yeah, speaking of um, things that I'm ready to end, let's go to Thrill 16, Tales of Dwed. So, this is a, a text story from Walter's perspective as Dredd takes down a bunch of, like, a cat burglars, basically. It's this weird... Yeah. There's this weird thing in the story where, like, Dredd doesn't have enough evidence on the, cat bur- on the burglars, so he can't, like, inv- you know... Um, just arrest them or whatever, but it, it it just sort of again highlights that the level of um, like investigatory powers that the that the judges have in Mega City One really varies from situation to situation and author to author, basically. Yeah, pretty much. So it ends with Dread taking down one criminal and then dropping Walter to Walter's death onto the rest of the uh, criminals. <laughs> Unfortunately, Walter is repaired and as good as new. Hooray! The only, the only really good thing about this story, which is just a big text story, basically, is that the whole thing isn't written, isn't written in Walter's v- v- vernacular. Oh my God! Well done. Um, yeah, it's tough. So. But, yeah, you know, that was a smart move. And speaking of being smart, Thrill 17, what is your 2000 ADIQ? Oh, God. So this is a quiz about 2000 AD. There were 22 questions. Fox got, Fox got 11 right. Oh, uh, that puts me, like, near the bottom of average. In the middle, yeah. Well, no, you're in, in, like, the middle of average. Most shockingly, Fox doesn't know what Borag Thung means, um, which I say every episode, and just means welcome. Um, so, but his listing is is in the middle of average, which is fine, you know, whatever. Uh, I, missed th- I missed three questions. I missed uh, who Star-Lord's archenemy is, the name of Howard Quartz's secretary, and who was struck with darts of death. I'm going to say, I'm going to make excuses for myself by saying two of those are basically Star-Lord questions, and the last is a very specific Mach Zero question. Anyhow, uh, my answers earn me the Tharg Junior Order of Merit. Hooray! Yay! All right. Uh, Speaking of achievements... Oh my god. Thrill 18. One million dollar man. Personality data bank. The night New York died. And C-Lab. 
underneath the water. So this is just a series of like text, you know, feature articles, basically. Uh, hey, one, were you ever curious about planes, and you didn't get your fill the last two years we did this shit? And specifically fighter jets. Um, basically, uh, the first article is: Do you want to be a, a one million dollar man? Basically, explain that it costs like a million bucks or five a uh, five hundred thousand pounds to train a fighter pilot. Basically, for this article, just refer to uh, Kelly McGillis's speech at the start of Top Gun for details, which sort of talks about <laughs> like how how pilots are as important as the machines they fly and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, but sorry. Then repeat it with an English accent and add some references to uh, the RAF and stuff like that, oh, <laughs> just to get God. the full experience. So there's a personality databank uh, databank on Tharg. Oh, sweet, the mighty one. Yeah, Tharg's data sheet is great because it's basically just 100% god mode in uh, data sheet form. <laughs> like a heightened weight, variable at will, immune to all diseases, no friends, only admirers. Oh my god, he hates dictators of Zrag and disobedience. Mm. Yeah, there's, dictators of Zrag will eventually show up in the progs, but maybe not for a year or two, I think. We'll see. And, and this is confirmed even now. His favorite hobby is solar hang gliding. Mm-hmm. So the uh, next article is The Night New York Died, which is about the 1965 blackout of the basically northeastern seaboard. It was a big one. Um, in a piece of uh, crossover podcasting, you should know that according to Marvel Comics, the, the blackout was caused by Captain America teaming up with Nick Fury to fight a bunch of aliens that were invading New York City. And, oh, wow. and, the, pod, and the blackout was specifically caused by the need to use most of the power grid to supply electricity to a massive laser that was used to kill all the aliens please see stranger by the dozen episode five <laughs> wow all right facts ladies and gentlemen yeah um uh finally uh there's an article on sea lab so check out these sweet submarines where eventually we'll have an underwater lab for undersea adventures in 2020 and minimalist <laughs> undersea comedy in 2021 <laughs> so awesome and speaking of irresponsible scientific uh, activity, Fox. Yeah. Thrill 19, Giddy Pig Part 2. I would have also accepted Grape Ape Checks In. All right. <laughs> so, no actual guinea pigging by Mike Lane this um, podcast, I'll mention. Uh, no, just Grape Ape. Yeah, but this is kind of a fun story. Uh, Mike Lane's bought the Mike Lane, the guinea pig's boss, Professor D, has been trying to make a drug to make animals less aggressive um, to help bring about world peace. Because I guess they'll find a way to make um, they'll find a way to make animals not attack people, and then they'll just dose the entire human race with it, and so they won't want to fight anymore really great dude this professor d and mike doesn't seem to have a particular problem with this, it's just so like whatever. a th- it's a throwaway like, throwaway line in just one panel on the first page of this story but it's a pretty horrifying concept uh, yeah it's not the best man <laughs> anyhow they go to check on the test subject which is a gorilla which has been in total darkness for the last three weeks which doesn't seem cool either um 
And when they do, they find out that, oh, geez, the gorilla is gigantic and it's running amok. Oh, God, why didn't we check on the gorilla earlier? Oh, I guess we needed to make it in pitch black darkness or whatever. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, Professor D demands that everybody uses trank guns on the monster, but even regular bullets don't do anything to it. <laughs> so, Mike, yeah. No. So it's it, it's bad times. Mike, Mike Lane gives chase as the ape wanders into the foggy countryside, but the gorilla ends up smashing Mike's jeep like it's a children's toy. In a very funny sort of photo reference of this gorilla with this jeep smashing, and the gorilla kind of being like "whoa," which I thought was pretty funny, honestly. And Mike the Dingus forgot his gun or it dropped off the back of his truck or something. Yeah, no, he really... Mike gets overexcited in these situations and messes up like three times, basically. Yeah. Um, so, meanwhile, so as Mike kind of gets himself back together, the gorilla returns to get more food from the lab it escapes from because it's hungry. Mm-hmm. Angered by a local cop that shoots it a couple <laughs> times and then throws his nightstick at the ape's face. The gorilla destroys a building that was just sort of on the grounds of this scientific facility where a bunch of convicts were sewing mailbags. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, what the hell? But the convicts escape and the, apes wa- and the ape wanders off again. As Mike teams up with the cops and the army to find the gorilla, three of the convicts hijack a tourist bus and demand that the driver take them to freedom. But instead, the heroic bus driver crashes the bus. Which uh, is kind of awesome. What a badass move that could probably kill a lot of people. I mean, you know, it was de- like, it was definitely like a man. I don't even know what what you do when you're a bus driver and someone hijacks the bus. Like, you don't put everyone's <laughs> lives in danger. But I mean, I don't know. I, I I'd be interested to see what um a bus manual, what a bus driver's manual says for that kind of situation. Like, do you take the law in your own hands by crashing the bus? Do you just do what they say? Because what are they going to do with a bus? Um, you know how how much danger do you put your uh, all your passengers in and stuff. But anyhow, <laughs> I mean, um, all I'm saying is you didn't get paid enough for this. It's true. Um, so Mike, on the hunt for the gorilla, follows the the path of the hijacked bus and gets knocked out and dressed in the convict's clothes for his trouble. And then he's nearly killed by the army guys who thinks he's one of the convicts. Which, I mean, you know, fair dues. Yeah. Meanwhile, a helicopter looking for the gorilla gets, squ- gets swatted out of the sky by the ape, uh, Kong Skull Island style. And the ape then chases the convicts and their tourist prisoners into a cave trying to eat them. Mike is found and untied by the army guys and then leads the gorilla away from the cave. As he, um, as he does so, he, like, twists his ankle. Which sucks. Yeah, and another helicopter shows up. This one with Professor D in it. He starts dropping packages of food from the lab on the gorilla, which, e- which it eagerly eats. Soon afterwards, though, the gorilla falls over dead. Uh, what happened? Yeah, uh, we don't learn yet, because the army guys need to use a recording of the gorilla's cries to spook the convicts in the cave to force them to surrender, and all's well that ends well. Hooray! How did that ape die? Uh, well, it turns out that by feeding the gorilla more of the special food with the Get Giant formula in it, it caused the gorilla to grow, to basically grow itself out and then wither like a hormone-based weed killer. I mean, 
Mike says, oh, at least the process was painless, but that doesn't sound very painless to me, I must say. It sounds like it happened really fast, like you poisoned the shit out of this giant ape, and then it died from getting too huge. Most things that are like, oh, it's like, um, it's, it's like pesticide doesn't sound like it's actually a very painless death. No. It sounds and, fucking horrible. Anyhow, tune in next year for the finale of Guinea Pig. Oh, thank God. Like, just so you know, Fox, actually, I don't think we've mentioned this on the podcast. Um, all these annuals were required to use content that's at least, like, five years old in their pages oh. for reprint stuff. So, like, in the 1981 annual, the statute of limitations on the 1977 stuff, of, of like, 2000 AD stuff has run out for the early 2000 AD stuff. So, in the 82 annual, they're going to start printing, like, sort of the first episodes of a couple, sort of, th- of, of a couple th- uh, thrills we've covered. I think they print the first mock, like, the first three-ish uh, progs of Mach 1, the first three progs of, uh, of Flesh. Well, that's kind of neat. Yeah. But so that's why all of these uh, reprint ones are ending next year, basically. But that's okay, it for cool. that's it for the content of the annual, Fox. Oh my gosh! Oh, thank God. What were your top and bottom thrills for the 2080 annual 1980? Man, I don't even know. <laughs> and like, like I get it. These aren't bad, but there's still like so much porridge. There was just mm-hmm. a very clear standout for me, which was. Uh, top thrill easily goes to Robusters. Nice. Like, just hands down. Like, it was actually Robusters. It was actually the characters. Mm-hmm. It was actually them doing something from a story that, like, involved Mechquake. And I don't know if you know this about me. Like, Rojaz is awesome. Hammerstein is cool now. But what will always be is doing big jobs. And, uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Anytime. Anytime Mechquake is doing big jobs, like I'm on the scene of the crime, checking out those big jobs getting done. Like, awesome, awesome. <laughs> they had some like they had some disasters and shit they had to deal with. Yeah, Mechquake had to get a new brain. Then he got hypnotized. It's really good. I I just like it's a good robuster story for sure. I, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Nice. How, how about ha, ha, have you managed to parse out a bottom thrill for this one? I mean, all of them. Oh, jeez. I, I, that's really a... Uh, God, this is rough. Because, all right, look. I fucking hate Phantom Patrol. That's fair. Like, a lot. Yeah. I really, 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 like, want to like it. Especially after Flamethrower Tank. Mm-hmm. Or Flamethrower Boat. Yeah. Um, it's just never really gotten there again. But I can't, I can't super fault it for that. Like, not in this one. So... Eh. Um, I, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, you're right. Look, but it's like we got to name a yeah. bottom thrill. That's the task we've given ourselves. Uh, Even if right. something isn't super bad, it's still fine to call it. All right, look, guinea pig would have, but then the giant ape thing was kind of neat, I guess, if not <laughs> horrible. So mm-hmm. I'm just gonna go with Phantom Patrol. I fucking hate you, man. All That's right, fair. You. Uh, my top man. It's also Robusters. This Robusters was so fun. Um, oh. And yeah, I think you're really right that as opposed to a lot of the other stories, even like the Dread story and stuff, this really actually feels like a real Robusters story, um, which is really cool um, for these annuals, because often, even when we have sort of stuff that we're familiar with, like Dread or Invasion or something like that, 
it feels like it's not like the real like a full version of those things yeah um agree yeah and so having just sort of a fully formed robusters was a lot of fun um for my bottom man i'm gonna say um like the man who saved the world is the bottom for me um really yeah i didn't like it that much um I, I just thought there was all this set, like it feels like this whole thing was just a setup for the pun at the end almost. Yeah, it really like, was. Where someone goes in, like, yeah, um, and it was just like, you know, there was all this stuff, and I kind of liked the idea of um, these guys traveling through the galaxy, challenging people to sometimes really ridiculous, really um, over the top, but sometimes really inane contests, you know? <laughs> like, I want to see yeah. more of that. I want to see, like, them challenging some random dude to a foot race for, you know, one day challenging someone to a foot race for, con- for control of a planet, the next day doing a psychedelic mind battle of the minds <laughs> for... Control the planet and stuff. Actually, that just would have been the better comic. Um, And so, but instead to have it kind of then be, you know, have this weird setup where it's this random bum guy and then he does cutting cards and it's all just a setup for this, you know, on the cards pun is just no fun. Like, I don't know. I kind of chuckled, but at the end I was like, oh, this could have been better. This could have been like all over the place, you know. That's ridiculously funny. Um, I'm hope you know. Again, like I thought, in all this annual is one of the is like the best annual we've seen so far. I think the eighty one one's gonna be pretty good. Um, the eighty two one, I'd say, is sort of objectively good. Actually, the, it it was covered on an episode of this uh, of this two thousand eighty podcast called uh, the Mega City Book Club, where they read a bunch of collected editions and stuff. And one guy and uh, one of the guests brought on like the annual 82 um to the show and they covered it and like talked about it really in depth and stuff and so i'm kind of excited for us to have our take about it you know yeah all right like look i'm i'm trying to keep an open mind on these things man but i'll be honest especially with this one it felt like it was four billion pages i mean yeah and it's just the general problem with these annuals where man like Going from the progs to this, like in terms of just like we got to sit down and take a couple hours to read the comics and then get ready for everything and stuff is such like it it, it hurts a lot <laughs> just because it really does. just because the progs right now are really firing on all cylinders and stuff. And so coming back down to earth for these annuals can be, a, you know, it makes it makes like these these uh, it makes September really a rough month for this podcast, you know, uh. It just I, sort of, like, it sits there on the road, like, ah, oh, geez, we got to get over this before we get back to the good stuff, you know? Yeah, it's like, you know, the elevator's out, you got to walk up ten flights of stairs. It's like having a salad course in between the main course and and dessert, you know? <laughs> Something like that. It's like people saying that dessert is actually just, I don't know, like some slices of fruit. Ah, uh, monsters. Okay. I know. <laughs> I hope everybody enjoyed the show. You can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or on our podcast site, Cradoline.com. Feel free to contact the show at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're Space Spinner 2K, and for everything else, uh, look up Space Spinner 2000, and we should be there. 
Tune in next time as Judge Dredd goes to the circus and then to the Palais de Boing, which is very important what? if you know your Judge Dredd stuff. Uh, oh, fuck. Yep, Blackhawk falls, but don't worry, he'll he'll get better. Uh, Bill Savage rides out. Wolfie Smith learns the dangers of modern filmmaking, and just when you thought ABC Warriors couldn't get any better. The bloodline of Old One-Eye continues as Golgotha, son of Satanish and grandson of the T-Rex of the Hag T-Rex herself, returns as an armored dinosaur hunting people on Mars. What the fuck did you just say? <laughs> do the ABC oh, that sounds so good. Do the ABC warriors have to get their own ar- armored di- armored riding dinosaurs to fight the evil menace? Of course they do. Oh my god, it's the greatest. <laughs> Oh my god. Uh, should we just call Top Thrill now? <laughs> Until next time, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendug Vithrig! Vithrig! <laughs>